0: Hello, Mike Baxter here with July's edition of Strategy Distilled, my monthly concoction of insights, learning and things you might have missed about strategy. So this month we have got a bit of a focus on framing. So I want to talk about framing um, as it relates to behavioural economics and also we have used it to develop a new creative technique, it's one of the new models that we're releasing on Creative Commons about frame stretching and frame setting. We're going to talk about the case for strategy workshops as a strategy tool, and we've got three snippets for you that you might have missed on strategy, one on strategy synergy, one on digital avoidance, and one on the frontline paradox. So let's get straight into it. Framing. It's quite an important concept in behavioural economics, and it's definitely something we need to know about as strategists. So what is it? Framing is the use of a set of ideas, the frame, to make sense of the world around us. So when we see somebody rapidly closing and opening an eye, then how we frame it determines how we see it. So if we frame it as a blink, in other words, an involuntary movement due to a speck of dust, we see it in one way. If we frame it as a wink, a socially meaningful signal directed at an individual, we see it in a very different way and how individuals within an organisation frame situations can have a profound effect on their subsequent attitudes and behaviour. To some individuals, for example, in a company that recently landed a venture capital funding round, this could be a recognition of our success and an opportunity to accelerate us towards even more success in the future. To others, however, It might be an attempt by faceless rich people to get even richer on the back of our collective labours. Very different frames, very different consequences. So why does this all matter for strategy? Well, framing explains why different people can hold very different views about the same facts, and hence may have wildly different beliefs about where the most promising future for their organisation lies. Now a key part of strategy development, therefore, is to try to make sure that people are, as far as possible, framing the strategy situation in similar ways. Where this is not possible, the next best option is to have different people's frames out in the open and mutually understood. So we may not have their way of framing the world, but at least we understand why they're framing the world the way they do. This way, a common strategic destination may still be agreed even if different people explain and justify the strategy in different ways because they frame the world differently. Now, moving on from there, moving on to our new strategy model that we're just releasing on Creative Commons, we've taken the principles behind framing. And applied them as a creative strategy tool to help you think of all possible strategy ideas and then select the best. So framing is inevitably a key part of strategy development and the use of a variety of frame stretching and frame setting tools can enhance the range and quality of strategic ideas. So for example we might get them to frame strategy in terms of SWOT analysis or value proposition design or stakeholder analysis. And these different framing methods will get them to recontextualize the strategy being developed and in doing so, inject sources of creativity into their strategic thinking. It stimulates divergent thinking by frame stretching and then convergent thinking by frame setting. So frame stretching, creative technique, for coming up with new ideas about what could potentially be included in a new strategy, frame setting, an exercise to select, refine, and combine creative ideas generated for a new strategy. It ends up differentiating what's in and what's out of the new strategy. So that's the new model. You can find it at goalatlas.com slash models and look for the model called Framing down the bottom of the page. The case for strategy workshops. We believe that workshops are amongst the most valuable strategic tools available to senior leaders. And quite often people ask us, how can we make the case for having more strategy workshops within our organisation? So here's the summary of the case that we think you should make to try and get more of these workshops included in your strategy process within your own organisation. Let's start with why strategy workshops. The key benefits of a well-run strategy workshop include productivity. A workshop is designed to be a high productivity event. Participants get a lot back from the time they invest. For this to happen however considerable preparatory work may be needed but that preparatory work usually pays huge dividends so workshops are productive diversity a workshop is designed to solicit the diversity of inputs and try as far as possible to invite participants with different backgrounds different responsibilities and different objectives diversity is a great way to increase the range of possibilities that you consider in any strategy planning process inclusivity Every participant matters and every participant's voice is heard. This has two benefits. Firstly, every participant's contribution is listened to and valued. And secondly, there are no passengers in the workshop. Everybody is involved. Everybody is engaged. Benefit three, safety. A workshop is designed to be a safe to fail environment. In other words, everybody should feel like there are no wrong answers. You can't be criticised because that was a daft idea. However, there needs to be a commitment to the psychological safety of participants and that needs to be clear right from the word go. So ensure that all criticism is constructive and that it is the ideas that are judged, not the individuals putting forward those ideas. Explain how great ideas are often triggered by somebody else's outrageous or silly or far-fetched or initially impractical idea. Next benefit, defense from bias. A workshop can be a great defense about confirmation bias in strategic thinking. It's a major risk, it corrupts lots and lots of strategies, and we talked about it in last month's newsletter. Final benefit, impact. A workshop works best if it has a powerful executive sponsor to ensure that the conclusions of the workshop are acted upon and to enable them to have their intended impact. Now, if you get all of these things right, productivity, diversity, inclusivity, safety, defence from bias and impact, that is the main reason why workshops can be so powerful. They're very focused and they can be enormously creative if run well. So how do we make strategy workshops succeed? Well, we start with people. Workshop planning involves at least two key people. Firstly, the workshop sponsor. They need the answers a workshop seeks to provide and they also have the in, an interest in the outcome of the workshop and the authority to act upon the workshop conclusions. And secondly, the workshop facilitator who will manage the workshop proceedings and deliver those workshop conclusions. Those two people need to work together, the sponsor and the facilitator, to make sure they are inviting the right kind of people and they organise the workshop in such a way that they get the most out of those people who are invited. Secondly, we must be very clear about what the purpose is. A workshop should set out with a clear and explicit purpose. And examples could include to build the foundation for deciding something, to actually decide something, to examine the evidence for or against something, to prioritise a set of things, to review a decision that has perhaps already been made, or to undertake some sort of risk assessment of a process or outcome already concluded. So there can be many purposes but they're quite specific. They are very purposeful things workshops. And finally, process. A workshop usually benefits from working around an explicit process model or framework. And here's one that works well and that I use a lot. Frame it, see it, do it. And this is a process that begins with a facilitator explaining a framework for participants to use think about a topic this is the frame it part then show an example of that framework being applied this is the see it part of the process and then finally participants are ready to apply the framework to whatever the focus is of this particular workshop this is the do it part so let me just run through a simple example imagine we're in a workshop to devise a new mission statement for an organization We frame this challenge in two ways. Firstly, the term mission is defined. An organization's mission is its purpose. What is the organisation right now? What does it do? What does it aspire to be right now? Secondly, mission is placed in context alongside other identity signals of the organisation. So for example, vision is all about the future. Mission is about now, vision is about then strategy how we plan to get from mission and to make progress towards vision and you can see more about the relationship between vision mission and strategy in goal atlas's house of strategy model which is already published and it's out on the goalatlas.com models page so this completes the frame it part of a workshop we've explained what mission is we've defined it we've put it in context let's choose linkedin as an example their mission is to connect the world's professionals, to make them more productive and successful. This is the very heart of what LinkedIn does. It is LinkedIn's purpose, which connects elegantly with LinkedIn's vision to create economic opportunity for every member of the global workforce. With these learnings, our workshop participants are now well-equipped to start working on a new mission for their own organisation in the do-it part of the process. Frame stretching, our new strategy model released in this newsletter, is of course another model that can form the basis of a strategy workshop. Finally for today's strategy distilled newsletter a few snippets related to strategy that you may have missed. Firstly, Virgin Atlantic's double helix strategy. We often hear about how the key initiatives within a strategy ought to give rise to synergy and synergy is where an interaction gives rise to an outcome that is greater than the sum of the interacting parts. Usually one of the initiatives has an amplifying effect on the outcome of the other initiative. Now we often hear about such synergies, but it's refreshing to hear about one actually happening. So Virgin Atlantic has taken their well-established expertise in customer experience and then applied the same principles to employee experience in exactly the same way that they seek to understand and improve the lifts and drags on customer experience, so they now seek to do the same for employee experience. With the added benefit that this not only creates a happy workforce, but these happy employees serve customer needs better, making for happier customers, which makes for happier employees, and so on around the loop. Nice little example of strategy synergy. Next, digital avoidance strategy. We often hear about digital transformation at the heart of strategy, but less often about digital avoidance. Yet this is exactly the strategy that has seen the UK's most loved satirical magazine, Private Eye, thrive over recent years. With everyone spending so much time on screen, a hard copy publication that you can sit in a chair and read suddenly turns into a sellable item, says Private Eye's editor Ian Hislop in a recent interview. This is a great example of a counterintuitive or trend-reversing strategy. Think what direction the world is moving in and consider what it would mean if we moved in the opposite direction. As the world thinks big, what would happen if we think small? Rather than working out how to succeed with the goalposts where they are now, how would we win if we were able to move the goalposts? Counterintuitive of thinking is almost always a useful exercise, even if only to confirm the value of your more conventional thinking. The frontline paradox. An article in MIT Sloan Management Review a couple of weeks ago So Carsten Lund Pedersen from the Copenhagen Business School suggest that frontline employees are often the first to sense strategic change, yet the last to have their voices heard. Despite the treasure trove of insights frontline employees can offer up for strategic decision making, top management teams rarely ask for their opinions and hence, according to Pedersen, deprive themselves of new information that could improve their analysis and risk making decisions in isolation within the C-suite echo chamber. Citing examples from companies such as Best Buy and Zara, Pettison goes on to suggest what steps strategists can make to better engage frontline intelligence in strategic decision making. So that's it for this month. Goal Atlas runs workshops and sprints to help your strategy work better across your organisation. Get in touch if you think we might be able to help you. And one small favour, if you can spread the word by forwarding this newsletter to a friend or colleague, it's a great way to say thank you for the time and effort invested in producing it. Until next time.